Well, good morning, everyone. What? Oh, good. Good. Sorry, my students are distracting me. Come on, guys. Step up. This was unplanned. Um, So everybody, welcome. Um, This morning, again, is Student Sunday, and in our first service this morning, um, I gave a commission to our seniors. Um, That was part one of this week. We're, We're talking about experiencing truth this week, and in the first service, I gave a specific message to our seniors about experiencing truth. Um, It is up on our website. I would encourage you, if you're interested in learning about poopy bread, um, to go read it. It will make so much more sense if you um, listen to it. But but what I want to tell you in this service is that we're actually, I don't want to commission the seniors two times in a row. That would be weird. Um, It would, if you think about it, like when you go to like a graduation ceremony, they don't like do a commissioning and then say, well, let's go do it again later in case some people miss the first one. Um, And for the seniors, I don't want them to sit through the same message twice um, because the message was very much geared for them. But in this second service, I want to offer up a message for the church on behalf of our seniors and our youth along the lines of experiencing truth. And and, and so this is part two. Um, I I framed up the whole sermon this week as just one super long sermon. Um, They're both going to be online. So again, if you missed the first one, you really want to hear about it, you can. Um, I would encourage you to listen if you have time. And in this service, I'm going to be speaking to you on behalf of what I think our youth need from you all related to truth. So let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you that you provide us with truth through your word and through your spirit and through your son. And we thank you that you love us so much And that you are such an amazing God that even when we fall, you are there for us. And and you are a God who loves us so much that just like in the baptisms, that you love the world so much that you sent your only son. And and Lord, I I pray for this time. I I pray for my words that your spirit would be speaking through me. And and I pray, Lord, that, that for all of us today, we would come away cut by your word and transformed by your word. And I pray that we would take to heart the message this morning. And I pray that you would just be speaking through me and to all of us today and give us all ears to hear the message of your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So this morning, we're talking about truth. Um, We're in this series on experiencing God. And before we jump into the sermon, I need to define truth for you. Um, And first, I want to tell you what I think the world thinks truth is. Um, It is very hard to define a worldly standard of truth because if I define it a certain way, then another person says, well, that's not true for me. And if I define it another way, someone else will say, well, that's not true for me. Um, The world has made truth a very relative thing. You see, I can believe something for me and someone can say, that is all right for you, but there is something else for me. And and the the world has has built this idea up. We we have this happening in education. We have this happening all around the world. Our, Our students, as they go off to college, one of my prayers for them is that they stay rooted in the truth because because what happens when kids go off to college, this is true. As a youth pastor, this is the most sobering statistic about what I do. 75% of kids, when they go off to college, they're out of the faith by the end of their first year. And the reason for that is because they go out into a world that does not hold the same value of truth 
as we as Christians should, and they go out there unequipped and unready for different ideas of truth and unready to defend their faith and defend Jesus Christ, the resurrected King. And because they are not prepared for that, eventually they have to conclude, well, this can't be the only truth. And so that is what the world says about truth. But I want to tell you that, that the Bible, if, if God is who God claims to be, and if he is the God who sent his son and, and prophesied that his son would be sent and who has made so many promises and kept all those promises, and, and the culmination of that is in the resurrection of his son, if that God is the God of this Bible, and if this Bible is how he has chosen to reveal himself to us, and if he is as perfect as he claims to be, and he's perfect, and he's holy, and he's all-powerful and all-knowing, if he is all of those things, then this, his word, is our best source of truth. And so today, as we talk about truth and experiencing truth, I want to encourage you that this is what I'm talking about. It's God's word. And we need the spirit and we need community to help us discern it. But the starting point of today is this conversation of, are we going to pursue truth? Oh, I went one too far. Are we going to pursue truth? And since I spoiled it already, um, Church, let me start by saying it is your responsibility to pursue truth. It is your responsibility to pursue truth. One of the things that is sobering for me, I, I'm using the word sobering a lot, but, but one of the things that, that just constantly stands out to me is when I talk to believers who are never in the word. And they come Sunday morning and rely on Sunday morning to give them just a fix of truth for the week so that they can go live their life however they want. And they may not try and live it in a wicked way, but if they're not pursuing truth, they are pursuing something else. And so, church, as we start our conversation, I want to tell you that it is your responsibility to pursue truth. Our conversation today is going to center in the book of 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy is is the last or one of the last letters that Paul wrote. Paul the apostle, who was the one who was killing Christians, and then he, on the road to Damascus, he saw a light. And then he was transformed and he, he gave his life to Christ and he became a missionary to the Gentiles, to all of the people of the world. And, and he lived his life to tell others about the truth of Jesus. And he pursued that truth and told others how to pursue that truth. And near the end of his life in 68-ish AD, that's where we're at in Second Timothy, near the end of his life, Paul is sitting in a prison and he has been deserted. In chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, he's, he's mourning the way that so many have fallen away. And, and he's talking to Timothy there about just so many have fallen away. But Timothy, remember, remember the gospel message. And that extends into chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And, and Paul is telling Timothy, that this big idea of 2 Timothy is Paul is passing a baton to Timothy. Paul is saying to Timothy, I'm in prison. I'm pretty sure this is the end. It's your turn now. And, and 2 Timothy spends over half of the book, Paul builds a case for the best way that Timothy can be prepared to lead the church. And the way that he does that is he tells Timothy to pursue truth, to put his focus on the word of God. And so that is what we are going to look at this morning. Not quite the last words of Paul, but our last letter of Paul that gives us a picture of what Paul valued and what Paul wanted the next generation of believers to value. And so we're going to open up uh, to 2 Timothy 2, verses 14 and 15 to start. 
remind them of these things. And what Paul is saying, remind them of, is the outline of the gospel where he has told them this is what truth is. Remind them of these things. These, them being the people in the church where Timothy is a pastor. Remind those people of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. If you are in Awana, or if you've done Awana, this is a key verse. The TNT kids, I think this is their key verse. Are there any TNT? Okay, I'm, okay good. Thank you. I'm glad I'm saying the right thing because I was worried I'd say the wrong one. The Sparkies should believe this too, but this is TNT, right? Okay. Thank you. Um, so the idea, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Now, how do you present yourself to God as one approved? Well, you need to be a worker who has no need to be ashamed. And how do you do that? By rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly handling the word of truth. Now, before I go, before I go any further, um, when I started studying this passage, when I read do your best, um, and this reflects very poorly on me, um, but I just want to be honest with you all. Um, we, we host the Young Adult Bible Study on, on Tuesday nights. And Jess, has been, she's a track coach right now, and so she's had track meets. And so, so she'll text me and say, hey, can you vacuum and sweep the floor and make sure all the dishes are in the sink before young adults come to our house? And if I'm going to do that, I say yes. If I'm going to attempt to do that, I say, I'll do my best. Um, <laughs> it's, it's true. Um, and and <laughs> so, so here's the thing. This idea of do your best, other translations put it, be diligent or strive to present yourself approved to God. The idea here is not, ah, I'm going to do my best. The idea is you are going to continually try to do this. You're going to strive to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Pursue truth. It is your responsibility. And, and the passage goes on to talk about some men that have fallen very far away from truth. Um, there, there were men inside the church that, that were starting to say, well, the resurrection already occurred. And why were they saying that? Because they didn't really handle the word of God. They were just kind of making these things up. And they would say this, and not only would they fall away from the truth, but they would lead others further and further away from the truth. And so Paul's message to Timothy is clear. Timothy, it is your responsibility to present yourself before God approved, unashamed, and the way you do that is by rightly handling the word of truth. Now, now church, as, as we talk about this, what I want to tell you is that if I got up here and said things that were not from the word, shame on me. And someday I would have to stand and take an accounting before God for that. But if you listen to it week after week and it was not truth, shame on you. That, that is a part of this passage, is, is the idea that if we want to rightly handle the word of truth, we need to take that responsibility on ourselves. And you may say, well, Matt, you have a lot more education. You went to seminary. Jess worked for three years so that I could devote three years of my life to just studying the word and just have a wonderful time studying God's word. And, and she did that for me, and I love her for that. But, but what I want to tell you is that, that hopefully... When you hear something, I, we, we talked about this a lot in the first service, hopefully when you hear something, if you go, what? Hopefully you open up and you read the verses around it. And if you do that, there's a good chance that if someone is not speaking truth, it will be very clear. Just look at Ezekiel 4.9 bread in your own time. 
Um, and so it is your responsibility to pursue truth. I want to make sure that is very clear for each of you. It is my responsibility to pursue truth and hopefully to communicate truth to you. But do not say, well, my pastor led me wrong because ultimately it is your responsibility. Timothy is not told Timothy to be approved before God. Just, just, you know, just, just make sure you follow what someone else says. It's no, how you rightly handle the word of truth in your life. And so that is an individual responsibility for each of us. It is a corporate responsibility for all of us together as well. The next thing I want to tell you as Timothy goes deeper, or as Paul goes deeper and deeper into the book, uh, into the letter, um, he makes it very clear to Timothy that Timothy is to not trade truth for comfort. Do not trade truth for comfort. And, and the way that Paul outlines this, it's in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. To Timothy, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people. And when we say people here, Paul is talking to Timothy about being a pastor of a congregation of believers. Paul is not talking to Timothy about the people of the world at large. He is saying inside the flock that you are going to be pastor of. But understand this, Timothy, that in the last days there will come a time of difficulty for people inside your church will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. That is quite a list. Um, I, I put it together here because when I, when I read through this and when, I, when I've spent my time studying, one of the things that I noticed in all of these, we've talked about a definition of sin before. The idea of sin is when we redefine good and evil on our own terms. And why we redefine evil, good and evil on our own terms, why we sin, is for our own comfort. It's to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. It's for us to please who we want to be. It's for us to be lovers of ourselves. And so I, I look at this entire list that is five verses of Second Timothy where, where Paul outlines this is what people are going to look like, Timothy. Be aware of this. And, and Paul challenges Timothy in this. He goes on to talk about the comfort focus inside the church. And what he says is there's coming a time where these people who are pursuing their comfort, there will be men who will allow them and help them live inside their comfort. And one of the things he says about this, there's a story in the Old Testament of, of Pharaoh and Moses, and Moses says, let my people go, and Pharaoh says no, and there's this whole argument back and forth. And when Moses first shows Pharaoh signs of God's power, Pharaoh has these two magicians. And what do these magicians do? Every time Moses shows, and, and every time God sends a plague, these magicians say, we can do that. And really they say, we can kind of do that. And they offer Pharaoh comfort of, well, yeah, this God's doing it, but he's not the only one who can do that. And so they offer up comfort for Pharaoh, and eventually you see the destruction to Egypt as Pharaoh's heart hardens, as, as he turns further and further away from the truth that is staring him in the, faith, in the face about this God. And, and so the, the idea here is, is we need to avoid being focused on our comfort. Do not trade truth for comfort. And here's how Paul defines truth to Timothy here. He says, you, however... You, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, 
my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So, so Tim, uh, Paul's response to Timothy is, is there has been this comfort focus and there are people that just want comfort, but remember the truth of what you have seen in my actions. Follow after me. I, I follow my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. And church, we may read this and on the surface say, wow, how arrogant is Paul? But if we look elsewhere in scripture, what we see is that Paul's challenge multiple times is he tells people to imitate himself the way he is imitating Christ. He challenges them also in Ephesians, imitate God. Paul has this challenge for his people that that there is a truth to focus on and it's not what you want to do and what comforts you. It's a truth built on scripture and Paul has built his ministry on the word. And so he challenges Timothy to remember these things. Have a truth focus, not a comfort focus. Do not trade truth for comfort. What's more important about this is is that truth is not going to be comfortable. Because Paul goes on, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It says all. It says who desire to live a godly life. And it says will be persecuted. If, if you never face persecution, I want to challenge you to think right now, do you live a godly life? That's uncomfortable because, because really no one wants to be persecuted. Paul is not saying go out there and figure out how to get persecuted. Paul is saying that if you're following this, And if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, if you want to follow the model of truth, it's going to come with persecution. And and he goes on to say, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, not only will they get worse and worse, but they're going to deceive themselves. They're going to feel comfortable about it. They're going to say, you know what, this is okay. This isn't that bad. We're not that far off. Like, we're, we're good ish, they're, they're going to be able to rationalize what they're doing because they're going to feel very comfortable about it. Do not trade truth for comfort. It keeps going. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I love this passage. I love this passage so much that when I began studying this, I was sure of what it said already. And then I kept studying it, and all of a sudden I went, oh, because you see it says to Timothy, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Well, from church history, we know that Timothy was born in 17 AD. And we know that somewhere around 68 AD is, is when Paul wrote 2 Timothy. We're not quite sure, but 67, 69, somewhere in there, somewhere around 68 AD, Paul wrote this letter. And so when Paul says, from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, and he says about these sacred writings, they are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, Here's the thing, church. From childhood, when Timothy was a child, 
would have been before the New Testament was a thing. The, the earliest letters of the New Testament were written somewhere in the mid-40s. And then they were written later and later. The Gospels were not written until the 50s and the 60s and even later maybe for John. Um, there, there's different arguments, but the point is no one says that, that any of the New Testament books were written when Timothy would have been a child. And this is fascinating to me because when you read this, this is not, I, I want to make one thing clear as I start, this is not me saying that the New Testament is not God-breathed. But this is me saying that the Old Testament is just as useful for making us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This passage is referring to the Old Testament. And what's interesting when I think about this is I encounter so many times from Christians. This happens all the time. I talk to Christians who say things like, man, the God of the Old Testament is angry. The God of the New Testament, after Jesus came and after he experienced what it was like to be human, he decided to be loving. I hear stuff like that all the time, or I hear that the God of the Old Testament was hateful and judgmental and and all of this nonsense, and I hear this from Christians that don't want to open the Old Testament because it makes them uncomfortable. And and the reality is is that that if you want to be wise for faith in in Jesus Christ, the the starting point of it that Paul says to Timothy, you're going to find out about it from the Old Testament and from the sacred writings, which were the Old Testament scriptures. What... Where, where I want to go with this, because I, I think that this is um, something that needs to just be dwelled on and something we need to dwell on a lot. Um, if you've ever heard, there's a missions organization. They used to be called New Tribes. They're now called, um, I think, Ethnos 360. And um, their mission philosophy has been built on years and years of experience and study. You see, when they began, when New Tribes began, they wanted to figure out how do we send missionaries who will plant churches where those churches will multiply and plant more churches. We don't just want to send a missionary to plant a church that's built around that missionary. We want to send missionaries who will plant a church that will plant churches and multiply. We want mature churches. The New Tribes organization looked at a number of things, and the thing that stood out the most to them about the way in which we need to, if we want mature churches, what we need to do the starting point that they found for their missionaries was that if a missionary went in and preached, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again and just focused on the gospel in the New Testament and did not include the Old Testament, the churches that they built and the, the churches that they founded did not outlast the missionaries. They did not multiply. There was not discipleship happening. The, the churches that, that New Tribes discovered were, were, build, were, were creating mature churches. The missionaries that were going and making mature churches were the missionaries that were going out and giving the whole biblical narrative, starting with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So that by the time they got to the point where they talked about Jesus Christ, their audience was wise and ready to put their faith in Jesus Christ because they understood the worldview and and the intention that God had. They understood a true worldview based on the truth. And so church, as we talk about this, I want to tell you what, what, what we do in our youth ministry. We try and spend at least half of our year in the Old Testament. We try and make sure our kids encounter so much of the Old Testament. Every year we spend so much time in Genesis 1 through 11, as much as the kids can stomach, because that, that, really, because that is where our foundations for the patterns of the world and sin and God's intended design occur. 
And so church, I want to encourage you, if you never read into the Old Testament, if you're like, well, I just, I don't really need it, do not trade truth for comfort. There are things in the Old Testament that are uncomfortable that I do not know what to do with. This morning in my devotion time, I read this passage that talks about David and all of his kids. And some of David's kids, this is before he's made king over all Israel, or right after he's made king of all of Israel, some of David's kids are not from his wives. They're just from women. And I was like, well, David, what? And this is before Bathsheba. This is before everything kind of goes, huh. But but the the point is, is I'm reading this and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. David, what are you doing, dude? And I'm reading this and it it takes away a little bit of what I want to believe about David at this time, but it shows me how the Lord is working through this imperfect servant. And, and, and so that's what I was reading this morning. I've been talking to, she, she's somewhere, Mary Zaletti. She's in the back. Um, Mary Zaletti came back from, they, they're, they're snowbirds, and, and they came back this year and she told me she's been reading through the Old Testament this year. And every time I see her, she is telling me about things she is reading that she's like, I guess I've never read this before. I've never realized this because she's slowly going through and critically reading the word. And as she does it, it has been amazing to see the questions that God is putting on her heart and the way she is being challenged in her beliefs as she reads through the Old Testament. And she is being made more and more complete to be equipped for every good work. It is so important that we know if we want to not trade truth for comfort, it's not just we need a few life passages from the New Testament. We need the Bible as a whole. And we need to be willing to engage with it all around. We need to not focus on just the passages we're comfortable with, but we need to dig into truth. The final part of this passage in 2 Timothy 4, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. That's a big charge. I charge you in this, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So the last point I'm going to focus on, there are nine commands given to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. And those are commands that for myself and all of the pastors of our church and, and anyone who wants to, to be a minister of the word, those are nine commands we need to take seriously. And, and hopefully you all do too. But I, I want to point something out to you. And it is this idea of itching ears. And, and my challenge for all of you today is to let your itching ears itch. Now that may sound kind of goofy, but I want to explain to you what we mean when we talk about itching ears and what Paul was trying to say. So, so Timothy is given these commands of how to preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, rebect, rebect, rebuke, reproof, exhort, do all these things. He, he gives Timothy an idea and he tells Timothy, the reason you're going to need to be ready to preach the word all the time is because there is a time coming this is 2,000 years ago-ish. Uh, there is a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, now church, again, Paul is talking to Timothy not about the world at large, but the congregation. 
He's talking to Timothy and saying, you're going to need to rightly handle this because if you're not careful, the people around you, are, they're going to have itching ears. And, and what we mean by itching ears is they're going to have these surface level things that they want soothed. And they're going to accept that comfort of, oh yeah, that feels kind of nice. Rather than being cut deep by the word of God. Instead of encountering truth and being forced to, to decide, am I going to transform and follow this or am I going to ignore it? They just want to go, oh yeah, that's all I needed today. And, and the, the idea here is not, not deep, far off heresy. Um, that is part of this because if they stop listening to truth, eventually they're going to wander off further and further into myths. Now next week I'm going to talk about God is love. Um, it's it's one of the most misquoted things in the world. And I will tell you, um, there is a movement that keeps saying that, that God, the God of the Old Testament cannot be because that wrathful and angry God could not be a God who is love. And they've decided, you know what? If God is love, this verse out of context, it's not even a verse. It's a part of a verse. It's not even a complete sentence. It's part of a bigger sentence. They've decided God is love. Therefore, God cannot be angry. God cannot have wrath. God cannot be anything else. They've thrown out all of the attributes of God and focused on what they're comfortable with. And that is God is love. And, and God is love. But next week, I'm, I hope you're going to come away with a, a very beautiful picture of God is love that is not, not flippant and taking away from who God has claimed himself to be. And, and, and so, so this idea of itching ears, church, I want to tell you that this idea of itching ears can be saying things that are untrue, but it can also be saying things that are just surface level. Timothy, the time is coming when, when the people will not endure sound teaching, but instead they'll want to hear a message that does not require a response. Yeah, it might be true, but, but it, might be a, it might be just an echo chamber, preaching to the choir. Tim, Timothy, the time is coming when people are going to desire to not have to deal with truth. And if you're not ready to confront them with truth, if you are not ready to preach the word, what is going to happen is these people are, are going to wind up falling away because they're going to just itch their ears and live in the way that they want to live and they are going to fall away from truth instead trading it for comfort. And, and the, the reality of this is that this is something that we do. Um, there are times in my life where, where I do not feel great about where I am at with the Lord. And I think about times in my life where, where the only Bible passages I'm reading are ones that I'm already familiar with and ones that I already know what they're going to say. Because it's like, well, I'm doing that well. So I can just, man, I itched my ear today. Man, I feel bad about my relationship with God, so I'm just going to read Genesis 1. God, you created everything. I feel good. Let's not talk about what's going on in my heart right now. This, this is something that we are willing and able to do in our own lives and something that is so wicked. And, and what Paul says to Timothy here is that on our own, if, if we're not held in check, if we do not pursue truth, we are going to accumulate for ourselves teachers that will suit our itching ears, that will allow us to not be transformed, that will allow us to just be at peace with what we are doing. That is, why the, that, that, that is why there are churches that grow that just offer the prosperity gospel. They, they, they say, God will bless you if you pray to him and if you give us money. That is why that is a movement. 
that happens. That, that is why there are people that become very devoted and they believe deeply in these churches and they become very passionate about churches that have no regard for this. Because it's comfortable. And it doesn't require a real response from us. It just requires us to be truth adjacent in an area we're already comfortable with. The pursuit of truth is something that is our responsibility and it is a lifelong pursuit. The pursuit of truth is something that, that when I became a believer, I, I, was, I, I, I gave my life to Jesus Christ, the risen King. He became the Lord of my life. And, I, I, and when I get, became a believer, I was sealed by the Holy Spirit. But I did not immediately know everything. I kind of thought I did for a lot of points of my life. Um, and, and, but, but the more I have lived, the more I have realized that the pursuit of truth is something that I will just never get there. I can read a passage that I feel like I've studied well and come away saying, huh, this is focused on the Old Testament. But it's talking about being prepared and wise for faith in Jesus Christ. I, I can come away reading this word and come away transformed and challenged by it over and over because on my own, I, I, am no, I pale in comparison to the truth that God is and that God offers to us. And so I need to turn to him for truth. And, and as we talk, church, the, the, these are kind of negative applications. Um, I have slightly more positively framed ones. So as you pursue truth, recognize that it is your responsibility. That's step one. Step one is not saying, well, I bought this book off the Christian bestsellers, and even though it's not truthful, it says it's a Christian bestseller, and I got a lot out of it. it, it start, step one is you need to recognize it's your responsibility. You need to open the word. You need to take time to encounter truth on your own. You may feel overwhelmed opening the Bible. Uh, there's a, a young man um, that I've been talking about the gospel with, and he recently went out and bought a Bible on his own. And he opened up to Genesis 1, and I told him, oh, cool, you know, and we kind of talked a little bit. And he got to, like, Numbers. And he's like, I have, like, I, I don't even know if he got to Numbers. He might have stopped at Leviticus. He told me it got weird. Um, and and that <laughs> it did. And so we uh, were working on meeting up to talk more about it. And I, I'm going to offer him resources because we live in a time where information, there's such a wealth of information. And we do need to discern what we're consuming. But the reality is, is that there are so many ways that we can take on the responsibility of, uh, that is ours in pursuing truth. Do not trade truth for comfort. Instead, let truth bring lasting comfort. This is one of the most important things I can tell you because there have been times in my life where I know that I am running from God in something and I'm constantly moving away from him and, and I'm staying in an area where I feel comfortable and in an area where I can just kind of put the blinders on and not have to think about it. And what happens in every one of those instances is when I'm finally confronted with truth, when I finally either pursue truth or hear truth and it's spoken to me and I finally have to reconcile it, the comfort on the other side of it is so much better than the cheap comfort that I got on my own. And so let truth bring lasting comfort. And finally, instead of, instead of itching your ears, you need to let your ears itch and you need to let the word of God cut you deep. The word of God is called a double-edged sword and the, the idea is that when it cuts in, it cuts deep. And in those deep cuts, we're able to be transformed. Because to our core, we, we don't turn towards truth on our own. We need the Spirit. We, we, we need God to help us. We need His truth to cut us deep so that on the other side we can look more and more like Him. Church, as I, as I close out, I want to tell you all that, that the reason for this sermon this morning, 
is because we have a group of seniors, an awesome group of seniors that are going off to college. And my prayer for them is that they are equipped to stay strong in the faith and they are equipped to pursue truth. And that when they return here, they will return here saying, I've pursued truth this last year or these last four years. And my prayer for our church is that our church is a place that if they go off and they go to a church that pursues truth, my prayer for our church is that we take on the mantle of this responsibility to pursue truth. That we are a church where we desire to rightly handle the word of God. And if we're not, we are a church that repents from not handling it well. And that we, as individual, individuals, we take on that responsibility so that when these seniors come back, this is a church that they say, this church is a community where I can keep pursuing church, truth. I, that is my prayer today, is that, that for our church, we would take that responsibility on. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite our seniors up, and you're going to get to hear a little bit from them. But as you, as you look at them, I just want to tell you, a part of our desire today as a church is, is we need to, like in the same way Paul passes the baton to Timothy and says, it's your job to pursue truth, rightly handle the word of God. It is generationally important that we continue to do this and that we continue preparing the next generation for this and we continue doing it and modeling it so that the next generation knows what to do. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for how good you are. We thank you that you offer us a lasting truth and and in your truth we can find comfort and we thank you that, that through your spirit you empower us to pursue you. And, and we thank you that, that your word helps us be transformed to look more and more like you. We, we thank you that it, as it says in Ezekiel, even, even though our hearts were hearts of stone, you give us hearts of flesh. And, and, and you give us your spirit that we could follow after you. And I, I pray for our church that we would take on this responsibility more and more. I I pray for those who are rightly handling the word of God that today would encourage them to continue on that path, that they would not be discouraged when they are persecuted or when they encounter people that that don't handle it as well, but that they would model for our body and for those in the community and in the world, that they would model for them what it looks like to rightly handle truth. And and if there are those today who feel deeply convicted that, that maybe they're not handling truth well right now, my, my challenge for them and my prayer for them is that you would convict them and help them pursue your truth, that your spirit would guide them in their pursuit of truth. I pray that, that they would not fall away and they would not just say, well, that's not really for me. But Father, I pray we would be a church that we model it well and that we individually take on this challenge to rightly handle your word. I, I thank you that you have given us your word, that, that you have provided us and revealed to us who you are through your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen.